Hi again, it's Kristen. Thanks for coming back. I'm happy we're talking again because things didn't go quite the way that I planned for this episode, so we're going to be going on a bit of an off-roading adventure here together. So last week, I struck upon that idea that maybe in order to find love, I need to convince that little niggling unconvinced part of myself that inviting another person into my life isn't just more trouble than it's worth, that life really can get better with a partner. And I figure what better way to do that than by pointing to real-life proof. So there's this one moment in particular from five years ago that wholly exemplifies the kind of proof that I'm looking for here. But the person I wanted to investigate it with isn't particularly jumping at the chance to be a part of this project. So instead of a conversation here, I am going to tell you a little story. As I've mentioned, I've always been driven to collect experimental data and understand how things tick. Well, when I was about to turn 21, it dawned on me that orgasms, which I'd never given much thought to, were something that my body was capable of. It suddenly seemed totally bizarre that this feature came factory standard, but I'd never in all these years taken it out for a spin. So for my birthday that year, I bought myself a vibrator, and I have been collecting data ever since. So now, fast forward nine years to the week before my 30th birthday. I was a virgin. In addition to never having dated anyone, I'd never felt compelled to have sex. But I was struck with that same feeling, that it was just really curious that I'd been on this planet for what was going to be three decades, and I had no firsthand experience of this thing that seemed to make people go so crazy around me. So... Long story short, I just happened to have a male friend at the time who was just announcing that he was moving away, and we'd become close over the course of the previous year. Neither of us was looking for a romantic relationship. He was 16 years older than I was, so it was kind of perfect experimental conditions. So we slept together a few times. I had some experimental data, a point of reference. He moved away. I share this story for two reasons. The first is to point out to myself as much as you that to follow the thread of curiosity did actually lead me to the love of my life. My son. (laughs) Didn't see that coming, did ya? It was this relationship risk that I didn't even consciously realize I was taking that led to this big, wonderful, messy, rich relationship with another human being one that I couldn't have imagined for myself. My kid's surprise appearance on the scene bypassed the part of me that was convinced that a simple, unentangled life was superior. And instead, it proved that by inviting this complex love of another human being into my life, there was this potential to be transformed. As Tammy said, I guess, life can and has gotten even better with this other being in it. I think any of us looking for love does well to remember this. The human dynamics that we're interacting with are complex, and they stretch us, and they make us wrestle with ourselves and our fear and our capacity. And that growing through relationship is uncomfortable, and it's awesome. It asks something of us in return for the payoff of love and connection and family. So I do know that it's worth it. I know that. I just have to remember that. 
And there's a second reason that I'm sharing the story, which is to point us in the direction of what I believe is our next thread of inquiry. See, it wasn't desire, but curiosity that finally led me to sex. And at this moment, I kind of have to wonder, what does that mean for our quest to find me a partner? See, that experience is, to this day, my only encounter with sex. At the time, I found it only mildly disconcerting that sex had inspired neither romance nor madness in me. And the fact that in the face of all of that science of the endorphins and the oxytocin and the dopamine and all of the things that were designed to hook me and get my hormones running, the fact that in the face of all of that, I hadn't even felt a little bit like maybe I was in love with him. It did seem weird, but it also didn't seem like a problem. And I mean, until now, now that I want to find my person, now that I'm not sure how to distinguish the difference between a friend and a potential mate if I, if I don't have that sexual compass driving it, it forces me to question whether my apparently asexually behavior all these years, whether that's actually my identity or if it's a symptom of something, if it's something that I need to solve. I mean, it's not that I don't get the attraction of sex on a theoretical level. I mean, the, the physical closeness, the pleasure of being intimate with another person. But whenever I've taken it out of the theoretical and looked at the real-life human beings around me and thought of actually engaging in sex with those other real-life human beings around me, it's like a magic wand has been waved and suddenly everyone feels like my cousin. <laughs> if I'm to take a cue from the culture, I mean, anytime a man's libido is in question— Terms like low T get thrown around and people run to the doctor and little blue pills are dispensed. I mean, it'd be great if there was a really straightforward, science-y answer to what's going on or what my behavior indicates. So I figure let's start there. I am reaching out to an endocrinologist. Dear doctor, I'm in search of someone who can test my hormone levels and answer some questions I have about normal sex drive. To give you a little background, I'll be turning 35 in four months, and throughout my life, my sex drive has never kicked in in the way that I think it normally does for others. I've found this to be more curious than problematic, as I've never bothered with dating. But now, I want to find a partner, and I'd like to know whether my apparent asexualiness is truly an identity or a symptom of something else. I'm hoping hard science, blood work, and a conversation with you might open up some answers. Sincerely. Kristen. I'm pleasantly surprised when the doctor gets right back to me. Hi, Kristen. Nice to meet you. As frustrating as this is, there isn't an endocrine disorder per se that would explain your situation. The blood levels of hormones do not correlate with libido in women, and rarely giving testosterone can help with this. Actually, I would think a gynecologist could assist more in that department, and even more importantly, a therapist who specializes in sex therapy. This appears to be more of a cognitive behavioral issue, better served by a therapist. I hope this helps. Your doctor. It doesn't help, but it certainly does spur about a million other questions. So I write back. Thank you so much for the speedy response, doctor. Yeah, that is disappointing to hear. I figured since men seem to turn to low T any time there is a waning libido situation, there might be a mirrored scenario for females. But I'm hearing you say that sex drive in women doesn't correlate with hormone levels in the same way. I'm actually really surprised to hear that. You've spurred a whole slew of questions for me that I didn't have before, especially because I've always gotten the message that sex was so biologically driven on the primal procreational level. I'll take your note 
and look for answers elsewhere. Thanks so much for your time. Sincerely, Kristen. Okay, honestly, I really thought this was going to be a straightforward episode. Science, doctors, all of that. After all, men talk about low libido like it's by default a problem. And the direct correlation of hormone chemistry is common knowledge at this point, right? How can we be of the same species and being different genders makes us so completely differently wired when it comes to sex? I mean, I, I know that we're all wired differently when we sex, but is it possible really that the entire female species, it's, it's all just in our heads? It has nothing to do with our hormones? Rather than assuaged, my curiosity is piqued. So I'm going to try a new tact to see if I can chase down some more satisfying answers. My name is Kim Bryson. I am technically a clinical sexologist, a sex educator and coach. When I put the word out that I was looking for someone to talk female libido with me, Kim came highly recommended. I have never had much of a sex drive, uh-huh. period. It just, I haven't been... And what I mean by that is, like, I haven't been driven to have sex, you know? It was, I was 30 years old, or just about 30 years old, when I had sex for the first and last time. Uh-huh. When I get married, I do want that to be part of my relationship. I do want there to be a physical, because I am a physical person, too. That's the other strange thing. Like, I'm really physical and close with my friends, and there's an intimacy there that actually, when I was, like, younger, was, like, pointed out was kind of strange, you know what I mean? Like, as, like I was just so cozy and comfortable, you know, napping with my girlfriends or like, you know, whatever it is. And to some extent, I've always sort of thought it's, I've been able to be as physically close to people because I don't sexualize it. Like Uh that just wasn't, even like when I'll get a massage and like some of my girlfriends be like, oh, I hate getting massages from men because they're always like thinking about having sex with you or whatever. And I'm like, that's never even crossed my mind that that's happened. You know, like I just have this like... What are you talking about? Kind of like obliviousness. All that was a long-winded way to say that I did go and reach out to an endocrinologist thinking maybe this is a symptom of something physically going on. Maybe I have no sexual desire and that is actually indicating there's something going on with my hormones or whatever. So I reached out to an endocrinologist. I asked her if she would be willing and able to test my hormone levels. And her response was pretty much an unequivocal, actually... When it comes to women, hormone levels don't directly associate or don't directly correlate with sex drive. So I can't really help you. You should probably talk to a therapist. How much should I want sex? What is the normal amount for me, for women, for people my age to want sex? And if I'm drastically under that desire, is that a thing I need to solve? Is that a thing that I need to address? Or is that something that when I'm going out in the world and dating, I just have to be clear of like, hey, this is part of who I am, is that I don't naturally feel like jumping you. And I get that. So I'm willing to work at that. Or I'm willing to like put it in my calendar. You know, like, is that what I'm dealing with? Or is this, I haven't met the right person yet, which some people say. Yeah. Some people do. They're like, oh yeah, you don't want to have sex now, but wait until you meet that person. And Is it just a a case of, I haven't met that person? Okay, so orientation is usually uh, unchangeable. It's kind of that element of us, and it's basically who we're attracted to. Um, And the attraction can be romantic, physical, or emotional. Do you uh, identify as an orientation? I have not had to ever, Uh because I just haven't ever been attracted to anyone in the way that would make me want to date them. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's so interesting because so many people's issues or concerns around their sexuality is multi-layered. Hmm. 
So oftentimes when they come in, what we'll do is we'll do a brief sexual history. And unlike therapists, we don't dwell in history, but what we do is realize that history informs us. So it kind of gives us a good idea of where have you been up to this point. So in your relationships, you said you've mainly or you've only dated men. Have you had any interest in expanding that to include women? My closest intimate relationships have always been with women, uh-huh. but I've never slept with any of them. Uh-huh. You know, it's always been platonic. Just platonic or pl- romantically inclined platonic? They've always been platonic in actuality. They've always been, there's never been a, a statement of romance being a part of it. Like that's never been a spoken part of any of it. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely know they've been intimate. They've been, um, I don't know, they've been emotionally intimate. They've been primary, partnery feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, th- I would cite that that makes me interested in having a partner. Yeah. You know what I mean? How'd you learn about sex? Did you learn about <laughs> sex? It's, no. This is a big question. And I ask this question to so many people. Kind of like, who gave you the talk? I'm pretty sure my fifth grade gym teacher. Yep. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah, right. You know, I ask people the question oftentimes, how... Um, Adequately prepared were you to enter your adolescence empowered, educated, and protected to be able, and given the permission to be able to explore your sexuality, to find out who you were as a sensual being. And you know what the answer is routinely? Nobody. I mean, quite frankly, for me, it's sex in the city on HBO was what was big when I was in college. Yeah. And being like, wait, that I don't relate at all to what's happening right now on the screen. Like, I have never seen someone walk in the door of the coffee shop and been like, dang. You know, like, I just, I've, I've never had that experience. Am I supposed to be having that experience? You know, like, <laughs> wait a minute, everyone else seems to think this is normal too. Like, so it's that, that's really been my encounter with it. And like, what, for me, it was when I was about to turn 21 was the first time I was like, wait a minute, I can have an orgasm. I've never had an orgasm. That's ridiculous. Well, like, that was going to be one of my next questions. Yeah, I'm glad you yeah, stepped yeah, right yeah. into that. Okay. So, right, so. I, so I went ahead and I you know, got myself my first vibrator, and I was like, great. Now I know, how, I, know I can do that. And I'll just, that, like, that's just like brushing my teeth. You know, that's just part of my life. So it's like I know I'm not broken. Like I can get pregnant and I can have orgasms. You know what I yeah. mean? And so physically I know that that's all, all the pieces are in the places they're supposed to be. Was now that, pleasure, was that, that pleasurable thing. for you? It was, for me, the part of that that was most enjoyable was just the access to that gray intimacy area that Mm -hmm. you only get access to if you're inevitably having sex with someone. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it was like all of the threat. I I got to cross over the threshold of platonic behavior into this is behavior that is like you're now allowed to like sit there and just be naked with one another or watching a movie in bed, which was like great. So I loved being that physically intimate with someone but as far as the actual act of sex I you know I could kind of take it or leave it but it, it I never orgasmed from it or anything like that there that's the big yeah, question yeah, yeah. yeah oh yeah no I so, didn't orgasm from it how skilled was he as a lover I don't know no. I've only had one <laughs> well the experience is what was the experience of pleasure in your body well then no I mean I never had an orgasm I never in retrospect you know it's been five years now and I think that there wasn't a lot of care taken Yeah, there you go. Do you know, it's really interesting because when I talk to people about great sex, great sex is a byproduct Mm -hmm. of intimacy and trust, of erotic skills, about understanding your lover's body and what turns them on, about um, the dance between love and eroticism, which is very different in the energies. 
Um, and for women, we just, we need more. We need to connect on so many different levels. It's so sad because in our culture, what's represented is as the norm. When you look at movies or TVs, it's, um, he, she is uh, constantly horny and volcanically and orgasmically, and volcanically orgasmic, and instantly, right? Yes. He runs, they run in the room, rip their clothes off, he throws her up against the wall, and yeah. she has a massive orgasm. It's just not a representation of what's really happening in the bedrooms of America, at least not for fulfilled women. Yeah. Normal dating mm -hmm. occurs because two people meet, and they think, hey, like, I'm attracted to you in whatever way that is, right? Right. And they decide to start going out and whatever. And so, so now that I'm looking at going into the world of dating, where I don't know how to tell the difference between a potential great friend and a potential love interest if there's not that sexual desire for them. That's where I get really kind of fuzzy of how, how do all these people date? normally like how how do normal people date I don't like without without that compass without that sexual compass of attracted not attracted want to sleep with don't want to sleep with like without that is kind of that initial ping like how do you navigate the world of dating well don't you think though Kristen that when we start off if we don't start off with the focus is, am I going to be sleeping with you and I'm going to have an orgasm with you or is it going to be a sexual interest? It's more about expanding, do I connect with you? It seems to me that what you're drawn to is energy. Mm. You're drawn to a chemistry of a person that you're with and then that expands from there and then the possibility of a sexual connection then opens up from there. And so I guess it's just a matter at some point of being allowing yourself to explore and play. Yeah to be able to be with people. Is it okay for you to have relationships that are just based on sexual exploration at this point? For me, the idea of sexual, explore sexual exploration for sexual exploration's sake, that is really hard to say twice in a row fast. Um, it's just not that interesting. Like, because I don't feel sexually deprived, which is where I come back to the, the thing of, am I just asexually? Like, because I don't feel sexually deprived, that's where I'm like, well, maybe I'm just asexual, fine, and I want a partner, and sex will be a part of that future relationship, but it's not, sex is only interesting to me in the context of the person that I actually want to have sex with. Yeah. But I guess that's the thing, is like, so much of it is like attention and care, and I only want attention and care like that from someone who... I want attention and care from in like all of life. Do you know what I mean? So that's where it's like having the like one night stand just isn't interesting to me because I don't, I don't really care if that person, I don't know. I just don't care about that person. So I don't care to have sex with them because I don't feel like I just need sex for sex. Yeah, I get it. I get that. Okay. <laughs> so what do you need to do? Give yourself permission for or to do. Is there anything that comes to mind? The thing that just came to my mind is I need permission to not have to have sex until there I have you to have sex. Oh, until you want to have sex, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Permission yeah. not to have to have sex. Yeah. Permission that it's okay that I can just keep not having sex until the day arises when I really want to have sex with that person or really want to be with that person in that way. That's a really beautiful discovery. What do you think about that? It feels relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like relief. Your body just kind of relaxed when you finally <laughs> said, what if I don't have to be focused on having sex, on being a sexual yeah. being? 
living up to societal expectations, the cultural narrative, yeah. is exhausting. You're really pointing out to me that basically how I've been is how I've always been, which is that sex has just not been in the forefront of my mind mm -hmm. to, to an extent that like it's been pointed out to me how weird that is. But the fact that I want a partner now doesn't mean that that's magically going to change about me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't engage in sex with your partner. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't have meaningful sex with your partner. Yeah. It just means that you may have differing levels of desire. And going into that ahead of time, knowing that you have a partner that has needs mm -hmm. and that you guys are willing to have a really good communication about that to be able to negotiate the relationship so it feels authentic, empowering to both of you. Okay, so am I simply a normal woman with a normal sex drive, or am I asexual? Okay, so to answer this question, I turn to the great oracle of our time, Google. The first thing that comes up is asexuality.org, which sounds appropriately like the authority on the subject. I mean, they're .org, right? I click on the glossary tab and get a list of terms and definitions, beginning with, unsurprisingly, asexual. Asexual. Someone who does not experience sexual attraction or an intrinsic desire to have sexual relationships. They are not drawn to people sexually and do not desire to act upon attraction to others in a sexual way. Unlike celibacy, which is a choice to abstain from sexual activity, asexuality is an intrinsic part of who we are, just like other sexual orientations. Okay, straightforward enough. I scan further down the terms, but the next two catch my attention right away. Attraction and arousal. Attraction. Many asexual people may experience forms of attraction that can be romantic, aesthetic, or sensual in nature but do not lead to a need to act out on that attraction sexually. Instead, we may get fulfillment from relationships without sex, but based on other types of attraction. Arousal. For some asexual people, arousal is a fairly regular occurrence. Okay, that surprises me. Though it is not associated with a desire to find a sexual partner or partners. Because we don't have an intrinsic need for sex, Asexual people generally do not see a lack of sexual arousal as a problem to be corrected, and if they do have a libido or experience arousal, they do not feel needs are unmet by a lack of sexual activity. Hmm. Okay, so do I feel my needs are unmet sexually? No, I don't. But I can't have an orgasm, so I'm not sexually deadened, right? I click around the site and find my way to the FAQ page and start reading. It seems like I'm not the only person with some of these questions. I masturbate and have sexual fantasies. Where does that fit with my sexual orientation? A significant portion of asexual people experience some level of arousal and libido, which can include fantasies and masturbation. Some asexuals who masturbate do not have a sex drive motivating them, but they do it just because it feels nice or relieves stress. They may experience arousal as a biological response to outside stimuli, but without any connection to wanting partnered sex. I find the next person's concern interesting, too. I can't identify as an asexual. What if I find the right person and start being sexual with them? If you're not comfortable identifying as asexual, that's your choice. Even if you do identify as asexual and later find that person who sparks your sexuality, 
that's fine. We learn new things about ourselves all the time, and it's okay to change how you identify based on that. You aren't losing anything by exploring your asexuality and talking to others with similar experiences, and you aren't barring yourself from having sex in the future. Okay, so the fact that my body is in good working order doesn't necessarily mean that it has an effect on my libido one way or the other, or my desire for partnered sex, as they call it, I guess. I can't say any of this feels particularly definitive, but then one question catches my eye. I have crushes on people. I think sometimes I fall in love. Does this mean I'm not asexual? Not at all. Many asexual people still experience romantic attraction and have romantic desires, just like sexual people, but without the sex. Most asexual people identify using a split attraction model, where they have a romantic orientation and a sexual orientation. It's entirely valid for an asexual person to want to pursue romantic relationships, as romantic bonds can be experienced separately from the sexual desire or attraction. Okay, now that's interesting. I've never really considered what it might look like to separate out romantic and sexual attractions. I mean, part of my confusion is that I've had really intimate relationships, but they've always been platonic. So I don't really know how to describe them. I mean, if you ask me what's my sexual orientation, I feel like I have to throw up my hands because I've not actually been compelled to have sex out of lusty desire with anyone. I don't have data to draw from, which I guess reading this, maybe that does indicate some sort of asexualness. But I've never had anyone ask me my romantic orientation. I wonder how they're defining romance here, though. Who do I find myself drawn to, physically comfortable with, attracted to? Who I'm apt to take note of in a room or find myself thinking about later or begin building an intimate little world with? I mean, that's how I've felt in some of my deepest friendships. Those relationships have been the ones that have shaped me and strengthened me and, yeah, at times left me heartbroken. Those intimate friendships are the relationships that taught me how to build something with another person, how to negotiate and compromise and care for and how to risk making future plans that are held by two people mutually. In fact, you know, as I'm talking about this, I think I can say to you that everything good I imagine could be in my future forever partnership, they're all things that I've experienced in emotionally intimate connections I've had with platonic friends. But how am I supposed to know the difference between being romantically attracted to someone and not romantically attracted to someone if there's no sexual component? Just as I'm about to close my computer, my eye catches on the last question on the page. I'm only really attracted to people after I get to know them. What does that mean? It's common for people to choose not to have sex with others until they meet certain criteria or reach a certain point in a relationship. However, a small minority of people simply do not feel any general sexual attraction towards anyone until a close bond is formed. An increasing number of people who experience that are identifying as demisexual. <laughs> oh my gosh. As if I needed any more proof that in this moment, the realm of sexual categorizations is a living and breathing thing that is actively changing as I sit here. I have to head back to the glossary and scan down to find demisexual. Demisexual. Someone who can only experience sexual attraction or desire after an emotional bond has been formed. It is different from the choice to abstain from sex until certain criteria are met. 
Okay, so you know, in these deep friendships, the ones that have convinced me that there is something wonderful to be gained from partnership, I've always reliably hit this moment where I've craved even more intimacy, more closeness, more shared time or shared life or something. Is that what we're talking about when we talk about romantic attraction? That feeling of wanting more of someone? Of their energy or attention or just their company, I guess? Is it a craving? Like a desire but not for sex? A desire for their very being? Because that, that actually sounds really familiar. I think that's the feeling of falling in love. And that, that feeling I know. Okay, so that's the thread we'll tug at next episode then. We'll go deeper on this question of whether love and lust are mutually exclusive and what that means for friendship or for partnership, which means we're going to have to go rummaging around in my personal relationships next time, which, you know, is risky feeling. But we got to go where the questions lead us, right? So, join me next week as I aim to have a conversation about future partnership with the closest thing I have to an ex. And we all get to find out together whether I have the guts to just say, Yep, I fell in love with you. That's next time on Curious Love. Thanks so much to Kim Bryson for sitting down to talk with us this week. If you'd like to know more about her work, you can reach her at Kim Bryson at alive-365.com. And thank you, listener, for being here. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week for the next installment of Curious Love. Curious Love.